You are listening to KC Sports Network, proudly presented by Emprise Bank. Coming up, the latest episode of The Process. Hey, how's everybody doing? Welcome to The Process, where the process is greater than what it produces. Hey, man, it's your boy, Sean Barber. I am the host of The Process, 10-year NFL vet. Man, I've had stints with the Redskins, which you know is the Commanders. The Eagles came here to Kansas City, which is a.k.a. God's country. Went back to Philly, another year with Andy Reid and the crew. And then I finished up in 2007 with the Houston Texans. Again, a a very 10-year career, learned a lot of lessons, a lot of scars, uh, but um, look forward to sharing some of that experience with you on the show. Uh, Well, welcome to the process. And we always start the same way, man. We would like to thank the McGinnis Group for uh, all season long uh, supporting us. Yes, I do work for the McGinnis Group. Uh, We specialize in employee benefits, health insurance for companies, retirement, uh, financial services, life insurance, and long-term health care. We would love the opportunity to like just check over and check out your game plan for your health care benefits. If you have the opportunity, call uh, Matt McGinnis, uh, Scott Soxie, or Sonny Fouts, and let somebody at the McGinnis Group overlook and oversee what you got going on as far as your health benefits packages with your companies. Um, it's a MGI team. Together, everyone achieves more. And that's what we believe we are. We're a team at the McGinnis Group. So, Hey, man, without further ado, we're going to jump right in it. We got a lot of information to cover this show. Um, man, listen, at, at, a, at, a, at a certain point in the season, you got to look, do a little bit of a revisionist history. You got to look at some of the things you said in the past. Hey, ask for forgiveness for some of the things that you might have been wrong. But also, man, maybe pat yourself on the back on some of the things you got right. So we're going to talk about the playoff game. Everybody knows, obviously, the Kansas City Chiefs Super Bowl 58 headed to Vegas um, to try to win a fourth Lombardi trophy. Uh, It was definitely a blessing bringing home the Lamar Hunt trophy. Let it stay here in Kansas City for another year. Um, I think that was um, obviously a point of emphasis throughout the team um, as we head into the postseason. Um, You hear Patrick Mahomes, you hear Travis Kelsey, you hear the ownership group, all the coaches talk about how special it was to keep that trophy here I'm in a season where the, the family lost Norma Hunt and to wear the patch and have the patch on the uniform and to be able to celebrate the Lamar, tr- Lamar Hunt trophy coming back here for another year in Kansas City. I think that was called mission accomplished. So really quick, man, let's let's get into that Ravens game and what happened. So if I look back at my notes, I'm going to look back and see some of the things I had my man Dwayne Clem on last week. And he talked uh, specifically about some of the stuff to be aware of in the Ravens game. Um, the Ravens, man, definitely run heavy team. You know you had to be ready for a downhill run. It was averaging over 20, uh, 22, 23 runs a game. It was averaging uh, almost four to five quarterback uh, specific runs a game. And how are you going to stop Lamar from being Lamar? Um, after the the bye week, the Ravens went on a tangent, man. They 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 were blowing everybody out for the end of the year. Uh, Lamar was leading the team in rushing four to five last games. Um, and just lighting it up on the scoreboard. He was in his rhythm. He was finding this thing defensively. Um, I think all season long, I mentioned, they only went into halftime down two two times all, all, all year. Two games all year, they went into halftime down. Um, and those two games, one was against 
the Rams, um, I think it was 20 to 17. And then one time earlier in the season against the Indianapolis Colts, which was a 10-7 ball game. And only to go down by a field goal at halftime twice during the season. Yes, that means you are a great team, but what it does, it it's it's a it prevents you from having to deal with any kind of stress, any kind of drama, any kind of uh you gotta build up a little bit of uh callus on your knuckles to mean you're you you gotta dig yourself out of some holes. And I think if we look back at the Ravens season, they were the number one team in the AFC pretty much the uh, all year long, but they never had to do anything to kind of uh dig their way out of uh, some bad situations. Um, they were playing their style of ball from the whistle all the way to the end of the game. They were um, a first-half team demanding that you respect the run, um, a couple of quarterback uh, design runs, um, a couple of really uh, special, really hard plays with a guard pulling the opposite way from the running back, whether he was going to follow the running back or follow the guard with the quarterback. Those things are just so hard to – to even think about how you're going to design to stop it because a quarterback spy is just not enough to stop a play like that. It's an extra blocker. You have nobody accounting for the quarterback on defense when it comes to run plays. And then you have a very explosive running back uh, in Gus Edwards, uh, Justice Hill going out the other side. So those were some of the plays I was really concerned with going into the, into the ball game. Well, I think that the way our Chiefs offense started the game, going up the first two series – Two quick touchdowns, 14-0. I think it put the uh, pressure on the pressure cooker. It, it put the pressure on the offensive coordinator. And as you see at the end of the game, um, not having double-digit rush attempts, uh, only one design quarterback rush for the game, um, it definitely must have changed their mentality or their mindset of what they were going to do to attack the Chiefs' defense, uh, being down 14 points after two drives. Now, revisionist history would say, if you knew the final score was going to be 17-10, maybe you would have stuck with that running game a little bit longer knowing that you had a chance to really pull back into the game. But again, I think that because it was such a fast and hot start by our offense, it forced the uh, Ravens' offense to become more pass-happy. And I think that Lamar passing the ball over 40-some times in the ball game was not something that anybody saw happening um, in the AFC Championship game. And so there's a number of really big plays, a number of really big opportunities. The momentum swung back and forth uh, the, you know, at the entire game. It was never really outside of the Chiefs' uh, control. They were, they were, they were up uh, all game long. Uh, there was almost n- uh, no opportunity where there was uh, closer than a one-score game. So no chance for the Ravens' offense to kind of get back on track and make it a, a more of a possession game. And, you know, you got to take your hat off to Andy Reid and uh, Matt Nagy and what they did on the offensive side of the ball is going into the game, we knew that we wanted to feature uh, Pacheco with the running game. We know we wanted to feature always Travis Kelsey. Uh, uh, Killer Trav in the postseason is, I mean, obviously uh, has reset the record books. Uh, Most catches in the postseason, barring whatever position you play, he is number one in postseason receptions. That is a tribute. That's a historic landmark. That's a that's monumental. Um, and so to re- record that and, and then also have a touchdown in the first half, uh, he was giving the Ravens defense nightmares. Nightmares to match up. Um, no matter if Hamilton was on him, no matter if Agent Zero was on him, uh, Patrick Queen, uh, all three of them had different opportunities to guard him. And in the first half, eight receptions, they couldn't shut him down. Um, and so he was a nightmare for that Ravens uh, 
defense for the first half. And then you talk about Rashi Rice. Rashi Rice has been evolving all season long um, as a receiver in our room. Um, many people talk about the, and we I got that in my notes about how our, our a concern going into this game was going to be this vaulted uh, Ravens defense that was being known in Charm City as the Immortals. Um, if you remember, there's a reference to the Immortals um, in the movie 300. Uh, King Leonidas talks to his Spartan soldiers and talks to them about uh, you know, wh- you know wh- what was going to happen um, in the battle when in, when they faced the Persians and had to go against the Immortals. And the Immortals were known to just be uh, slayers. They are just mercenaries. They 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 dominate everything, hit anything they see, and and, that, and that's the kind of bully ball that the Ravens have been doing all season long. Well. I don't think the Immortals ever thought that they would be down 14-0 after two drives put on their heels. Um, and that that definitely changed, I think, some of the aggressiveness of that defense. It, it put them in situations where you saw they lost a little bit of their temper, uh, multiple, multiple multiple personal fouls, giving up automatic first downs. And, and those things all led to the Chiefs uh, dominating the, um, the game flow. And I think that that was one of the things that when you ca- talk about in review, and in retrospect, when you when you have a chance to relook at the game, uh, it was it was the Chiefs' game from whistle to whistle. Even pregame, I think people talked about the uh, uh, kicker gate, um, Kelsey and Patrick having a little fun uh, while they were warming up. They felt that uh, Justin Tucker was getting in their way with his pregame ritual, and so they asked him to move his helmet. He moved it about three or four inches, and that wasn't good enough for Kelsey. So he throws his helmet, and football's all out the way. He keeps on setting up his kicking tee where Pat was trying to set up the throw. So Pat keeps kicking his kicking tee out the way. Uh, the wide receivers kick the ball out the way. And so it just, you know, you got you to gotta understand, man. I, I don't think AFC Championship week, uh, that game is a day is a day you want to really uh, poke poke the king. You know, you, you don't want to poke the bear on game day. And that's what Justin Tucker did. He thought he took he took a little bit of a, a onus on his own side to say, hey, I'm, I'm going to get these guys riled up a little bit ready. I'm going to get them, see if I can distract them in their pregame ritual. Uh, to try to give himself an advantage, and it just it did just the opposite, um, poking them, making them uh, a little bit agitated before the game. I think that they had already circled the wagons here in Kansas City. It was Kansas City against the world, um, entering the, the the postseason as a three seed. Knew, knew that you was going to have to go on the road twice to get to the Super Bowl, uh, possibly go to Buffalo, possibly have to go to Baltimore, uh, two of the best teams in the AFC, and mission accomplished. Mission accomplished. Handle both road trips, um, two trips where uh, the Kansas City Chiefs team was the underdog. Patrick Mahomes being an underdog in the postseason, I don't know what Vegas is thinking, uh, but that's not a bet I would take ever. I would never bet against uh, Patrick Mahomes in in the postseason um, when he's the underdog. Petty Pat comes out in, in, in in full breed mode and beast mode when it comes to the postseason, and if you don't know it now, now you do. So uh, the team definitely just, man, the camaraderie, the way they just uh, Velcroed together, they came together um, in a very special way this postseason. Um, we always talk as players about having the ability to flick the switch. At some point in each season, you find a team, uh, you got to get hot at the right moments at the end of the season to make a postseason run. I don't think I've ever seen a team, and I'm going to be honest, I don't think I've ever seen a team um, – Flick the switch this late in the season to be this dominant in the postseason. Uh, you look back at the Chiefs' schedule, 
Um, I think we had a bye week around week 12 or 13. Um, in the last eight games of the season, we go four and four. And one of those victories was in week 18 when we were resting our starters. So, I mean, our starters in seven of the eight games, we went three and four, had a losing record. I think you would have to say that team at that point was playing below average or maybe average. Um, and then without a moment's notice to be able to uh, gather the troops and get your postseason swag, uh, swag and surf always, uh, to get the postseason swagger going and that confidence, that trust level uh, for the playmakers to you know start to step up and make plays. Um, I got to take my hat off uh, to the wide receiver room, the wide receiver coaches. I got to take my hat off to Travis Kelsey uh, coming into postseason form. I got to take my hat off to obviously Coach Steve Spagnola in the defense. They've been doing it all year long. Uh, Coach Dave Merritt in the secondary, uh, the D-line getting after everybody. Coach uh, Joe Cullen. Um, collectively, the entire Chiefs organization did a phenomenal job all year long uh, writing the ship, uh, finding some new new twists, some things that maybe other teams weren't going to be prepared for during the regular season. But then when it was time to let your best show, let your personality show what Andy Reid says to the team the night before the game. It was time for postseason to flick the switch. And yes, they did. Yes, they did at the end of the season, flick the switch um, just in time to beat Cincinnati during the regular season. And ever since then, we've been seeing a different brand, a very balanced offensive game and a very dominant defensive uh, uh, brand of ball when it comes to Kansas City Chiefs. So that's a wrap up, man. Obviously, um, man, the, the Ravens game was outstanding. It was something where um, um, the Ravens linebacker, uh, Roquan Smith, is a very vocal leader. He compares himself to Ray Lewis uh, on social media. Uh, I did a lot of things in the, in the, uh, here in town on the radio and in my podcast mentioning how it was so important that we uh, cut off the head and the, and the body will die. Well, he, was the, he is the definite emotional leader of that defense. And I think that at an early point in the game, we, we, we started to eliminate his impact on the, on the field. And once he was no longer um, a significant part of what was going on, he tried to make himself a significant part, obviously with the late hit personal foul um, against our guy Trey Smith. That was just out of character. Uh, that was uncalled for. And I believe that that was something where you realize at that point in the game, he realized everything has gotten out of hand. And so when you're able to take a defensive leader like that and get him off his game, um, we, we knew that the defense was was, was pretty much um, ours. Uh, the ball game was in, in our control. So, man, I just love to see overall what our team did on um, the passing game, the running game. Uh, Pacheco's amazing. And then how we dominated their team as far as defensively, definitely uh, some, some very poignant plays to the game. Uh, my play of the game, I'll say that right before we break, my play of the game was definitely LeJarrius Sneed punching the ball out of the two-inch line, uh, maybe three-inch line. Uh, right before the ball uh, crosses the end zone, um, he gives up a short pass. Zay Flowers tries to break and reach for the end zone, and Legereus threw great hustle, great finishing the play through the whistle, um, through the echo of the whistle. Um, has a phenomenal play, is recovered by uh, McDuffie. And that's just, again, team defense playing together as a team, making the other offense continue to snap the ball and work down the field. Um, and understanding just in, in every situation, there's a situation for that ball to come loose, but you got to be running to the ball. So, again, the trust, the communication level in all three phases, offense, defense, special teams, this is the all-time high. Our Chiefs team came together 
uh, circled the wagon and played as a family in hostile territory up there in Charm City, which some people know as uh, Baltimore Ravens uh, M&T Stadium. The bank. We went to the bank. We robbed it. Now we came back with all the spoils. So, man, that's going to be the first segment of the, of the show. Uh, come on back. and We're going to talk some uh, maybe a little bit of college. We're going to talk about some uh, little senior bowl, little east west, maybe some 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 things that I had, and even maybe look back at some of my top thirty picks uh, going into the NFL draft. Man, this is the process where the process is always great and what it produced. Again, I'm your guy Sean Barber. We'll be right back. We appreciate you supporting KC Sports Network by listening to our podcast. You have helped us become the highest-ranked Chiefs podcast network in 2022 and 2023. And don't forget about our daily Substack newsletter, the best written analysis you can find on the Chiefs straight to your inbox every day. kcsn.substack.com We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Welcome back to The Process, where the process is greater than what it produces. I'm your host, Sean Barber, 10-year NFL vet. And, man, listen, we're going to do a little stroll down memory lane, man. These, these college kids are coming out. They want to be pros. They want to uh, uh, – they, they all have dreams and goals, and, and, and they are, they're striving. They're, they're doing all the preparation, uh, what needs to be done. Well, the preparation usually in the college career culminates with an all-star game. And so back in 1998, yeah, that's a long time ago. I know I look a lot young. I know I look, you know, like I'm in my 20s, but no, nah, man, I'm, I'm about to reach 50. So back in 1998, man, I had an opportunity to play in one of the historic bowl games. It was called the Kelly Tire Blue-Gray Bowl. I um, mean, it was in Montgomery, Alabama. 
Um, they played that game, all, I don't know how long before, but up until 2003 when it was uh, for the lack of sponsorship, um, it converted into a new game. But um, the, rear, the weird uh, point of emphasis about that game was um, you had the, uh, the, the North versus the South, the Blues versus the Grays, the Union versus the Confeder- Confederacy. Uh, man, like, you know, so, sometimes, uh, you know, 20, 30 years ago, things are uh, just viewed to be uh, appropriate. And then in present day, you realize how inappropriate it was. But uh, I had an option and I have the, the pleasure of now going and helping out, doing some mentorship work, being able to interview and talk to upcoming stars, upcoming NFL players coming out of college um, um, at the Shrine Bowl. The Shrine Bowl is a, an amazing bowl. The NFLPA is throwing a lot of support behind the Shrine Bowl now. Um, so when you get the East-West Shrine Bowl going on, um, you have a, a number of players who I think potentially could be third to fifth, third to sixth round players, uh, upcoming players who are pushing these um, uh, first and second round players for, for draft positions. And so once you get through the top, you know, uh, 60 or 70 players who are going to the senior bowl um, and, 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 and Birmingham, Alabama, um, you have another group of guys that are being recruited by the NFLPA and by the Shrine Bowl to come play and be a part of their bowl. And that actually happens, um, that'll be tomorrow, this Thursday, the Shrine Bowl is going to be played. And I got a bunch of players who I think that if you're a Chiefs fan, you should be paying a little bit of attention to, man. Just just, just keep a, a one ear, one eye open and watch out for tomorrow, the Shrine Bowl. Um, and I'll just really quickly go through my players to watch. I got a running back. You might understand, you might remember the name, Frank Gort Jr., uh, Frank Gore, his dad played 16 years in the NFL, 15, 16 years in the NFL, was one of the most durable, reliable running backs to ever play this game. Um, man had, you know, almost a thousand yard uh, years, even into his double digits. Uh, so you talk about wear and tear on a running back. If the one thing you know about this guy's legacy, his DNA is built for longevity. So coming out of Southern Miss, um, I think he's had a really good year, a uh, really good career at Southern Miss. And it's going to probably be one of the, uh, you know, to me, top five running backs coming out in the draft, how high he can go and how he can push uh, some of the top guys coming uh, from Oregon, from Texas. Um, obviously, Michigan has a running back coming out. Um, so there's a, there's a handful of running backs that uh, Notre Dame has a running back coming. So those four guys, I think, are going to be the, the top four going. Then after that, I, I would keep an eye on uh, Frank Gore Jr. Like I said, out of Southern Miss is one of the guys, upcoming guys uh, to look out for. Another running back I had is a guy, uh, Isaac, Isaac Gerardo. He's a running back from actually from Louisville. Uh, had a really good year being um, a change of pace back. Um, the, the thing I really like about him is he's never been this the primary back. He doesn't have a lot of wear and tear on his body. Um, he's really good in third down situations, but he also is big enough to really get short yardage and first downs um, and play in the goal line packages. Um, I think that being a Chiefs fan, that's the kind of running back we should look to really be able to give uh, Pacheco a, a breather at times. And obviously, um, with the injuries late in the season to McKinnon, uh, we got to find somebody to fill that role again in the coming seasons. And I think, you know, being able to get a running back in the fifth or sixth round, a running back, as a young man came out of Louisville, might be the, the guy we keep an eye on. Um, definitely is not going to be such a surprise to get another guy like Pacheco in the seventh round from Rutgers, but I think this guy from Louisville is somebody to watch. 
Uh, everybody talked about the wide receiver room. We're going to make some up changes, uh, make a lot of overall changes in the wide receiver room. Uh, we're so delighted with the production we got from uh, Rashi Rice this year, um, being our uh, being our top wide receiver as far as drafted. I think we follow it with another draft of maybe multiple receivers we get in this year's draft. Some I got to uh, keep an eye on is uh, a guy from UTSA, uh, Josh uh, Cephas, and then another wide receiver is a guy from my hometown, University of Virginia, Malik Washington. Malik Washington is a guy who had over 100 catches, 1,000 yards, I'm very productive, uh, plays primarily just in the slot. Man, he, he's a he's a he's an AB kind of guy. He's a Antonio Brown as far as his movements. I think coming out this this uh, draft class, he's going to be very very uh, very very similar to uh, uh, maybe a Jordan Addison type receiver. I like the way he uh, really finishes his breaks. He got strong hands, good catch radius. Uh, but definitely being a primary guy to be in a slot. And I think that's something we're going to have to start addressing here in Kansas City. Um, just find a guy that can really lock in and be a, a primary sl- uh, slot guy to complement what we got going on with Rice and with uh, definitely Killer Trav. Um, so that's the receivers I want to keep an eye on. Uh, offensive tackles, right? We got an offensive tackle. Hey, man, we got a one-year deal on one side. We got a, 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 a Luan Taylor's on the other side. I'll be here for a few seasons. You can never, you can never, you can never draft and develop enough offensive tackles. That is something that we should be in the business for every single season, no matter how good or bad we do during the regular season, during the postseason. When it comes to the NFL draft, every draft class, the Kansas City Chiefs should be looking to get depth in their tackle position. So it's two tackles I got uh, that I wanted to really take a good look at. Um, One tackle, one guard. Uh, The tackle is a guy... Uh, Garrett Greenfield, uh, South Dakota State, uh, man, this is this is a guy. Uh, he's he's probably is one of the best players on the FCS level. Um, coming from South Dakota State, the Jackrabbits have been phenomenal uh, for the last few seasons, um, consistently being available and being a opt- uh, being uh, a participant in the FCS championship game. You talk about a winning program. You talk about a team that's built from the the trenches up. Uh, that's what they do every year. They get guys that are overlooked at the offensive and defensive line. They build those guys up to play like they're powerhouse, power five football players, but they're playing on the FCS level. Now, the things I see of this guy is when he gets to the all-star games, you can't tell where he's from because he's dominating power five defensive tackles and ends all day long um, in the game film, in the practice film. So I'm very, I'm looking really forward to see how this guy uh, tested the combine, but he's put on uh, – he's got a lot of great game film at South Dakota State as being one of my maybe most uh, – you talk about a, a gem, uh, um, a, a hidden hidden gem in the draft is going to be this guy out of South Dakota State. Um, and then the guard position, obviously a late injury in the season, a pectoral to uh, Thune, um, and, and wondering our – you know, he's, he's kind of uh, long in the tooth. He's had enough years. Uh, man, a uh, uh, great veteran presence, but how long is he going to be able to hold down that guard position? So it might be something in the later rounds, in fourth, fifth round, we have opportunity to uh, get some depth in the guard position. Uh, the guy I'm looking, you know, beyond the SEC guys, because I, I do believe when in doubt, you always draft SEC when it comes to the offensive line. That's my rule of thumb. Uh, you know, if I had to flip a coin on, on two guys, if you ain't from the SEC, I really don't want, want to deal with you. But this guy is really showing up on film. Um, to be a little bit uh, of a special. His name is Christian Mahogany. Uh, and I probably pronounced his last name wrong. Uh, Mahogany. Mahogany. And he's from Boston College. 
Uh, love his base, love his hands. He looks like a type of guy that could play guard, center, maybe even, you know, if needed to flex out a tackle. He almost is a Joe Tooney. He's almost like a, I mean, just a, a, a younger version of it, uh, lacking the experience. But if he could come in and actually spend a year learning under a guy like Joe Tooney, I think that would be a phenomenal transition um, and maybe not even drafting him for 2024, but you're drafting him for 2025 and beyond. So I would love to be able to see or get, get a guy like that from BC um, and develop some depth in that position. Um, we, we talk about the defense, man. I got one linebacker, one cornerback, and one safety. Uh, I'm going to start with the linebacker, Curtis Jacobs from Penn State. Uh, I had the opportunity to play uh, a number of years with LeVar Arrington. Uh, he wore number 11 at Penn State. Uh, and this guy, Jacobs, man, like, like, like he 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 is a baby boy. He's a he's a, he has a little bit of twitchiness. He has a little bit of bend. He has a tr- phenomenal flexibility. Uh, his instincts for the ball. I think it has to do with a lot to do with the um, the coordinator at Penn State is a pro level guy. He's developing guys from that defense. That defense is keeping that program alive and keeping that program um, always in the conversation of are they going to be one of the final four teams in college. Um, so I love the way they're, co- they're they're coaching that linebacker. It's it's been it's been linebacker use since I was a kid. Uh, when I came out of college, I heard about Penn State linebackers, linebacker U. Um, always a phenomenal uh, recruiting class of linebackers coming out of Penn State. Uh, like I said, I played with Lavar. He was a, a sideline to sideline. This this young man is exactly cut from the same cloth. Sideline to sideline, uh, uh, man, a brick wall of a hitter, uh, run stopper. Uh, plays the coverage aspects well also, and I would love to see him in Spag's defense. Uh, he's a playmaker in the waiting. Uh, again, his name is uh, Curtis Jacobs out of Penn State. That's the linebacker I want to uh, take a look at. Uh, you go back to cornerback, uh, Quantes Stinger. Quantes Stinger is a guy actually didn't go to college. He's from, he's from the Toronto Argonauts, and he actually won the uh, CFL uh, Rookie of the Year award. Uh, on defense, uh, making plays all over the field. Again, like sometimes you got to search the the draft class and you're looking for guys that didn't take the the easy road, the, the, the road less traveled. And this young man has dealt with a lot of turmoil. He's dealt with a lot of dead ends and had to U-turn and go uh, fight back up the hill to get to where he needed to get to. And all the way, he's just consistently been a playmaker, always around the ball, ball hawk, uh, top end speed, great hands, great instincts. And if you're able to nab him, uh, you know, fifth, sixth, seventh round, um, again, because he doesn't have that same pedigree, didn't come from a Big Ten school, didn't come from an AC, didn't come from a major college program, uh, there's going to only, I think, a, a few teams might be a little bit uh, raw on his film and his footwork and things like that. And so you just never know how the draft is going to slide with this young man. But I think that's something worth us taking a deep dive and really looking at uh, his skill level, his ability, his raw talents, and seeing that if that guy could be somebody that kind of flies under the radar uh, the first couple rounds, and then you're able to get a real quality guy to come in and play. And in my book, the guy um, is a phenomenal corner, so I, I look forward to seeing how he tests and how he goes in the combine and how he goes in the, on all the drills and see how he level, you know, levels up, matches up to some of the uh, 1A division guys um, if, if given the opportunity. Now, my last guy... Uh, is a guy has he spent some time at Ohio State, spent some time at Texas. His name's Ryan Watts. All right, this is a guy who played corner sometimes in certain packages, moved to safety. 
And that's something I actually look for in the draft class. I look for guys that are actually got some position flexibility because you hear over and over about Coach Spagnola's uh, defense and how in the secondary, corners sometimes play in the slot, inside, outside. You're outside corner, inside corner. Safeties, you go from being a midfield split corner to being down in the box. We're notorious from bringing our nickels and safeties on blitzes. Um, against the Baltimore Ravens, you saw multiple pressures being brought by Justin Reed Safeties just getting involved in the in the rush game and in the run game. So the more you can do, the better. The more skill development you have, the more rounded player you are. We are very, very interested in getting this good quality football players um, and don't have to, to really narrow them down and put their positions into like one specific position um, or one box. So a guy with position flexibility like this young man has, Mr. Watts, I think he'll be listing most of your media guys coming from Texas, but he spent a little time in Ohio State. Hey, man, great quality of work, great competition level at both schools. So he'll he'll come with a, a bunch of experience. He'll come with a bunch of tools, some assets, and I would love to see how he's evaluated and looked at on the next level. Um, so I mentioned uh, these are some guys to watch uh, when it comes to the uh, Shrine game, uh, which is Thursday night. And then beyond that, Saturday comes the – Senior Bowl, and that's the that's the bowl. That's the that's the Coupe de Grace. That's supposed to be all the bells and whistles. That's where all the the, the bright stars are shining. Hey man, listen, I played like I said in the blue in the, in the North South Bowl, uh, which don't even exist no more. But then I did also have an opportunity to play in the Senior Bowl, and that's probably where I opened up a bunch of eyes during the practice week. Everybody wanted to watch the game film, but it's that week of practice. That's when you really see guys get at it, and you see guys who can who has great leverage, who has great hands. Uh, who can focus up and listen to uh, instructions as far as explaining the drills and not having to do the drills over, who's actually focused in and not distracted by all the lights. And uh, having the opportunity to go to the Senior Bowl last year, I got a phenomenal chance to evaluate some guys and talk to them. And on a mentorship level, man, I, I, just, I just real quickly jotted down some notes on uh, preparing guys in the college level for the game of being a pro player. And I always say, look, don't take the opportunity for granted, right? Uh, uh, appreciate the grind. Know about the – it's going to be stresses and bruises and strains and you're going to have your ups and downs and failures. Like, man, like embrace the suck. It's going to suck sometimes, but you got to embrace it, man. It's all part of the, the process. It's all part of getting to the, being a pro player. And don't let any of the testing frustrate you. Don't get to a point where it's a 300 uh, questionnaire and halfway through the questionnaire you get up and just walk out because you're tired of asking – uh, answering the same question three or four times. It's all about seeing do you have the mental toughness to go do what you got to do to still act like a pro, be a pro, and do what, you, what needs to be done uh, when it comes to these testing. Uh, we talk about distractions. You're going to have friends and families with a lot of expectations of what you becoming a pro means for them. And, hey, man, if it doesn't bear fruit, release it. Cut it off. Uh, you got to know that uh, uh, honestly. The nightlife, how do, how do you affect the nightlife of whatever city you go to? Do you get the proper rest? Do you have nutrition? Do you lift weight? Are you, are you doing everything it takes to prepare yourself for uh, not a college season, but a professional season? College is usually 10, 11 weeks, and then you're going home for the holidays. The pros, it's 18 weeks, not to mention six weeks of preseason. That's up to 24. And then if you go into postseason, that's another four weeks. It can be almost 30 weeks of continuous football that you put you, and that's three times the amount of college. So if you're not properly uh, the nutrition, weight, rest recovery. Uh, if you're not taking the proper focus to make sure that you have your body prepared and, and ready, that's where uh, injuries happen and mental breakdowns and a lot of mistakes. And so 
when you get to the, you know, when you get to chance to speak to guys, make sure you remind them guys, remind them of how, 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 how they should appreciate the opportunity to be uh, evaluated, to be a pro player. Uh, last but not least, man, it's kind of a process that I talk about. It's kind of like you're seeding the ground, right? I mean, I care about the NFL. Uh, I, 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 I love to see the, the image and the integrity of the shield being kept held high. And I know with any and every incoming class, there's more and more of a demand for guys to uh, impart and, and, and just plant seeds of positivity and how to handle uh, being mentally tough and how to handle practice and how to handle all the celebrity status and social media. And just all the things that come with being a pro. And so there are a, a number of guys with the trust, the legends group, NFLPA, uh, alumni associations, there are a number of former players that are put in position to uh, mentor and meet and what we call like seed the ground. This is planting seeds of knowledge and wisdom with these young guys to make sure that they are prepared for the NFL and prepared for all the stresses they're going to receive. So, man, if you're at one of these uh, bowl games and you see some alumni uh, walking around, man, listen, take take advantage of that. Go talk to those guys. Let them know what's on your mind. And then also open up your ears and listen to what they got to say. Listen to what they're saying about how you handle your business on and off the field, how is it, how important it is. Um, so, yeah, those are some things about the the, the, the two different bowl games. Um, I wanted to quickly uh, close the show with just talking real quickly about uh, my, my, my opportunity to go to Indy and watch the Combine and how important that was. Uh, when I was at Indy, um, B.J. Kissel and, and my man uh, Tuck, um, we got together at uh, the Tin Roof and was able to break down uh, Barbershop's Top 30. So if you have a chance, go back in the uh, KCSN archives and look for Barbershop, Sean Barber's Top 30. It was like on March 3rd or in some way in early March. And I was breaking down and ranking some of my uh, players that are coming out in the, in, the, in the draft. And really quickly, I wanted to just go over my quarterbacks, my wide receivers, and then a few other sk- skilled players. So at quarterback, I actually had number one, C.J. Shroud. I had number two, Will Levis. My third pick, uh, was actually Anthony Richardson. Now, I'm really, 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 uh, that's one of the surprising, I think everybody had him at like the fifth or sixth quarterback. Well, he was my number one based on all his skill level and how he could throw the ball and run. And I think I'm so excited to see how the Colts are going to develop and use that young man moving forward, um, kind of like a young uh, Jalen Hurts. Uh, my fourth quarterback was Henning Hooker out of Tennessee. And then my last, which my fifth quarterback, was actually Bryce Young. Everybody, uh, who I know had Bryce Young as being the number one quarterback coming out. And yes, he was drafted first overall uh, by the Panthers. But I think that uh, uh, I got to pat myself on the back that, um, in the, um, the analysis of that position. When we looked at it, um, having C.J. Stroud as my number one uh, was proven to be what he does. I mean, the wide receiver position, similar. Um, my fifth wide receiver was Tank Dell. Ended up going to the Texans. My fourth was uh, JSN. Uh, Smith and Nigba went to the uh, Seahawks. Uh, Jordan Addison went to the Vikings. Number two I had was Quentin Johnson. And that was, of these wide receivers, I mean, I, 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 I am going to admit that was a miss, but I think it has to do with the system he went to in the Chargers who already had two veteran wide receivers and then their struggles with um, uh, the quarterback breaking his finger and things that was going on with their you know front office with the coach. Um, you know, getting fired halfway through the season. So there's some things that sometimes you can't account for when you're just talking about uh, taking raw data, you're taking skill, you're taking film work from guys in college and seeing how they're going to um, uh, impact the NFL. 
But my number one guy was Zay Flowers. And like I said, man, listen, if you talk about patting yourself on the back for making the call, Zay Flowers, uh, he was ranked in anybody's draft, somewhere five, five to six or seven or something. Not many people had him at the number one wide receiver coming out last year. But uh, after watching film of him in Boston College, man, he just he was a complete receiver. He was pro-ready, playing in college. Love what I saw to that young man. And still at, in this season in the pros, one of the most budding, bright stars as at wide receiver position. Um, had a hell of a year for the Ravens. Um, three quick players at tight end. Uh, my number one tight end was Michael Myers. Uh, I got to admit that was wrong. Uh, I didn't know he was going to go into the Raiders, but if I knew he was going to the Raiders, I probably would have not included any tight ends in the first round. But the two I didn't show, I didn't, uh, Dalton Kincaid um, was c- kind of concerned about his injury history going into the draft, uh, but obviously didn't know he was going to Buffalo. Buffalo uh, already had Dawson Knox there, so uh, but but them pairing him up with a, a, an elite quarterback uh, like Josh Allen would, was just what he needed to skyrocket and be one of the premier tight ends in the league this year. And then also Sam Laporta going to the Lions. Uh, the Lions had just had Hawkinson got rid of him. Great, great front office move for them. Uh, knowing what they had coming in the building with Sam Laporta, knowing that they was going to target the tight end position and saying how uh, fruitful this tight end class was, they probably figured, hey, we'll get one of the three of these guys and we know we, we, we're going to feature that position so, man, hats off to the, the, and I, and I, you know, to the, the group over there who are doing the scout and evaluation. Last but not least, man, the running back position. I think everybody uh, who I've ever spoken to about the draft knew there was two really bright running backs, uh, uh, Jameer Gibbs and also Bijan Robinson. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't think that Bijan was going to go that high um, going to the Falcons in the first 10 picks, and definitely I didn't think that Gibbs was going to follow him up going to the Lions, but – um, you could tell that the Lions had a game plan going into this season of how to upgrade their offense, um, uh, going out to LaPorter, going after Gibbs. Um, and it finalized and it actually, you know, culminated with them ending up uh, with the lead, 24-3, 24-7, going against the 49ers in the NFC Championship game. So you're talking about some the right moves, making the right moves at the right places, um, spending time. Uh, devolved, uh, de- developing uh, draft analysis and knowing who the top 100, 200 players are coming out, it definitely bears fruit. It's definitely worth your while. Uh, when you see Ken Swanson and the guys that we have here at KSN, uh, KCSN develop their draft guide, you might want to get that. Uh, it's a lot of great nuggets of information. It's a great way to follow. Design your own mock draft, how you, how you think guys are going to fall. And then a season later, reflect on that. See how you did um, I, I take a lot of, like I said, I take a lot of time to, you know, criticize myself when things are going wrong. When you make some really great picks a, a year ahead of time and you see guys developing from college into great pro players, that's something to feel really good about. So, man, we're going to wrap it up. Uh, it's been a great show. Um, love talking Chiefs, love talking playoffs. I uh, love talking about the potential of college guys coming into the pros. Um, next week, obviously, uh, we're going to spend a, 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 a deeper dive as we talk about the Chiefs in the final stages of preparing themselves for the Super Bowl, Super Bowl 58 against the 49ers, what do the Chiefs need to do, what they need to avoid, what do we need to stop, and what do we need to accentuate and, and do more of to prepare ourselves for another, a fourth uh, Lombardi Trophy to come back here to Kansas City. So with that, man, this is the process uh, where the process is always great at what it produces. I'm your boy, Sean Boyer. We love being the host and love talking to you about football, man. Let's get it. Hopefully uh, another week of preparation. And then next week, 
tune back in and listen, listen to me talk and break down as we prepare for Super Bowl 58. All right, I'm out. When you make decisions for your company, you always look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing and shipping to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your process to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, books, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart if you sell online, schedule package pickups through the dashboard, and automatically see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers, with rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are, even on the go. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other business decision makers with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.